0: greetings i'm john duvall welcome back to another truth factor discussion we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us as we study through the book of ecclesiastes it's about time anyway so today we have with us uh simply brian and brendan just a small crew today Um as we mentioned a while ago uh, paul is tending to some personal things in his life so uh, we gave him a pass for today, and Tom has flown out to Arkansas. His mother uh, has passed away. And so please keep Tom in your minds and your prayers and his family as they go through these difficult times. We would invite you to participate in today's study if you'd like to do that. Now, if you're viewing this on our Facebook page, then use the, the comment section connected with this video and tell us what you think. If you have a comment about something we say or about the text or maybe... Oh, something, you maybe even a question about something that is said, then we'd love to hear from you. Drop your comment there in the comment section. If you're viewing this on our YouTube channel, well, there's a chat area there, and just Use that area to say what you think about what we say or what the text says. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us via email. Doesn't have, you don't have to email it right now, but at some point after the study, send it to questions at truthfactorlive.com. And you'll see on the screen an easy way if you want to yell at the other guests or share your thoughts with them, I'll say. You'll see how to do that. It's just the first name at truthfactor.com. And we do have a number you can text us at if you'd like to do that. All that there is on the screen and on the ticker at the bottom of the video. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into our study. We're picking up with Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse 18. And we're going to take a moment and have Brian, if he would, to kind of bring us up to speed on that
1: particular text and where we, where we left off at and then go on from there. So last time we were talking about how Solomon is, in a sense, constructing an enormous social experiment. What he's doing is he is using his resources of wealth and time and power and intelligence to find out if there is an answer to the most uh, the most basic question that all human beings have, what is the meaning of life? So what he's doing is he is pursuing each of these avenues to their ultimate extremes to find out if there is a value of life in those situations. Of course, we talked about how it was. He starts off with uh, knowing everything, and he's going to tell us in Chapter 1 that knowing everything doesn't produce a satisfaction in life. It is a, um, in fact, he says, much much knowledge increases sorrow. So it's not the answer. He goes on to say, I pursued pleasure in Chapter 2, and pleasure didn't bring him any satisfaction either. Uh, it was quick to reveal itself as being something that was vanity. Uh, vanity, emptiness. Sometimes he uses the expression of pursuit of the wind. He goes on to talk about the idea of possessions and how it was that, uh, he sought to have things, to have everything that there is. And we, we applied the old analogy that sometimes people use that he who dies with the most toys wins. Uh, Solomon knows that he who dies with the most toys just dies. That's the fate that belies all men. And that's, uh, his observation there. Uh, finally, he went a little further on again to talk some more about the nature of being the wise man and how it is again that knowledge simply knowing these things, learning these things isn't themselves producing the answer. Now, you and I kind of know where we're going with this. We already have an answer to the meaning of life and, uh, the meaning of things and, Solomon is certainly going to come to that conclusion as we reach the end of the, the book, and he's going to make that point. But for now, his scientific experiment, and I use the word scientific to describe the idea that he's applying a process in learning these things, continues at verse 18 with his next subject of study in this scenario. So, beginning at verse 18... Uh, Solomon uh, writing these things, as I said, he's uh, picking up uh, um, uh, with this. Oh, I've got to get my Bible open too. I'm having just a small problem. Just one second. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool? Yet he will rule over all of my labor which I toiled in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Therefore, I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor in which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This is this also is vanity and, and a great evil. For what has a man for all his labor and all the striving of his heart with which he has toiled under the sun? For all his days are sorrowful and his work burdensome. Even in the night his heart takes no rest. This is also vanity. "'Nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink "'and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. "'This also I saw was from the hand of God. "'For who can eat or who can have enjoyment more than I? "'For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy "'to a man who is good in his sight, "'but to the sinner he gives the work of his gathering, "'collecting, that he may give to him "'who is good before God. "'This also is vanity and grasping for the wind.'" So once more? Here is Solomon describing this idea, something he's already alluded to in the past. And we talked about just a little bit last time, the idea that we can work really hard. We can be really good at something. We can build a great business. We can build, you know, a great farm. We can build a a great uh, um, uh, sense of pride in whatever it is that we're trying to put together. When we're gone, somebody else is in charge of it. They didn't do any of the work they didn't uh, uh they didn't have the care or maybe the love for that work that we have and what are they going to do with it solomon doesn't elaborate he just simply makes the point to say that that itself is a bad thing but what if that person squanders it what if they destroy it what if they waste it what if we leave it to somebody and they have no and this is solomon's great point they just they just didn't put the work into it they just don't have the same feelings of affection or or pleasure that that we might've taken in it. And he says, this is really an evil thing that no matter what we do, what we build, that eventually it goes away. Solomon built a lot of things. You know, the the scriptures talk to us about how Solomon built some of the great storehouses of Israel. He built some of the great fortified cities of Israel. Um, He conquered the most land of any king. Uh, The kingdom of Solomon stretched all the way to the Euphrates River, past Damascus, including Damascus, one of the great cities of the ancient world. It was the largest that the kingdom was ever going to be. And in the time of his son, a huge part of that was broken off and taken away. Uh, all of it lost. All that work gone. Those fortified cities uh, became nothing. Uh, everything that Solomon built, uh, Solomon, Solomon would experience the things he's talking about. All of his great works are going to be taken away. You know the Bible makes a, a great care about the golden shields that he surrounded uh, in Jerusalem that he built up. Um, next generation, uh, Shishak, the king of Egypt is going to come in and take them all away. All of Solomon's works are going to be are going to be uh, dissolved, and Solomon knows it. He says, I know that that's what happens. All the things that we strive for and toil for in this life, even if we are the most successful we could be. And by the way, let's put a pin on that and say that Solomon's gift is that he is successful, that he does have the power, the wealth, the authority, the wisdom to bring all these things together. But even if it is successful, that means nothing. And of course, for most of us, it's not going to be that successful. We're not going to be the best in our field. We're not going to be the, uh, the most successful that there is. But Solomon's point is that even if we were, even if we had the ultimate success in all the labors that we produce in the end, we die and it becomes nothing. And death is a pretty significant thing in his mind. Now, Solomon does kind of give us a, uh, one. Uh, one contrasting point here to say that the labor itself is good. The labor itself is, is a good thing for a man to work. In fact, he says that there's an enjoyment in life of having the fruit of your labors and being able to enjoy that. But his great point is to say that's not the meaning of life. That's not what life is all about. I see we got a couple of comments here in some of our our chats. Uh, uh, Michael Davis brings up the comment here: Is it not the case that though we leave all our labors behind us, we have nonetheless those who follow us who might observe and learn from them? You know what's interesting about Michael's saying is that Michael's making a spiritual connection here. Now, now of course Solomon is not is not taking a spiritual path in this. His, his the purpose of his scientific experiment is to say with without the knowledge of God. What is uh what is the best we can learn? But as Michael points out, you know, a person who labors with a spiritual mindset or particularly labels in spiritual things, uh, there is something else to be obtained. There is something else we might have. And Michael goes on to say, it's not the goal to obtain heaven and to lead others there via Christ as well. So of course, Michael's completely right. And by the way, Michael, you're you're kind of giving us the spoiler, right? Uh the book of Ecclesiastes is is Solomon saying that without a a, a relationship with God, nothing has value. Um, But ironically, what Michael's point is accurate is that with a relationship with God, everything has value, whether it's uh, all the things we've talked about, knowledge, spiritual knowledge has its value. Even, even entertainment and recreation has value to us. Is it, is it, it, uh, our possessions can serve a purpose. Um, You know, our labors, uh, all all these different things that we're saying at this point of themselves are meaningless But with a spiritual relationship, they do have value. And that is, of course, the big surprise at the end. Uh, But Solomon's not there yet. He's trying to tell us that if we just pursue a meaning of life without a divine perspective, it's all meaningless. That's where he starts us off. That's the experiment that he's running right here. That's a good point. Yeah. You kind of have
0: to keep that in mind when you're reading through Ecclesiastes, is that we're reading with the full story told. And Mm -hmm. so a lot like Michael did, we, we, as we go through each chapter, we know in the back of our mind is, but there's something better, you know, but a lot of times as Solomon's building up to that, it is like you said, the spoiler, he'll finally make the wonderful conclusion for the whole matter. Did someone mention last week, if we wondered if he was thinking about Rehoboam when he wrote this particular section,
1: because Um, we talked about Rehoboam, but I don't remember when, how, uh, what we were saying. I know we had mentioned him like with Proverbs and some of the things he had written in Proverbs. So I think we did mention him, but I don't remember what the context was. Well, I was thinking because, you know,
0: who would follow him or, or secede him on the throne? Well, it would be Rehoboam. And when he writes that um, I've shown myself wise, uh, not that one, let's see. He says, I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool? You know, yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I've shown myself. You know, so it kind of makes you wonder if maybe uh, if we go with the premise that Solomon wrote this later in life, if maybe this is what was on his mind, all the things that he's done, even the sacrifices he's made, including sacrificing God, because part of what allowed him to build up the nation was his many treaties that he had in these many treaties and the wives that he took became his downfall and his, as in to influence him to bring in idolatry. So he gave a lot for the nation in one way of looking at it. And you know, I wonder if maybe one day he was looking at his son, Rehoboam doing something stupid, <laughs> you know, one day I'm, I've done all this work and I got to turn over to someone. I don't know if he's going to be a wise or a fool, but he's going to rule it all.
1: I told you to be careful. I think my father is watching this Bible study today, and he's going to resonate with that statement too much. So. <laughs> I like that.
0: Uh, any other thoughts on this particular section? I mean, that seems to be the primary gist of it, but Brendan, you got any thoughts here?
2: Nothing really. Brian just summed it up so well. So, <laughs> Well, all right, let's, okay, so then come down to
0: 24, Brian, because I think you were talking about this. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also, I saw, was from the hand of God. So kind of the idea is to look past the, well, the vanity, the, the vaporous nature of our physical work and just do our best to enjoy the life that we have. Not in a sinful way, obviously. Right. You know, but to enjoy your marriage, enjoy your children, enjoy the uh, the recreating, enjoy the work, enjoy the things that you do. But keep in mind, and don't be labored down with the depressive thought that when you die, some person, wise or fool, will get to take over it.
2: You know, there's oh oh, Brittany, go ahead. I'm well, sorry, I was going to say to that to to that point. Um, Solomon's argument up until this point um, if my notes are right 24 is the first mention of God in the book and I think that's significant Um, and it's not so much Solomon saying eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die or for that is all there is but eat drink and be merry because that is what God has given us while we're here on this earth Um, you know when you start factoring God in everything you can actually start enjoying life for what it's supposed to be. And so this is the kind of the um, paradoxical, maybe I'm using that word wrong, uh, nature of the book. And I, I think you see this echoed in the New Testament as well, where Jesus says, he who loses his life will find his life. That in Ecclesiastes, when we finally give up trying to make life about profit, I think as Solomon said earlier, what gain is there? What profit is there under the sun? When we stop trying to pursue life for the sake of life itself, maybe that's not the right word there, but, and we're able to stop and just enjoy the season we're in, the day that we have, what God has actually given us, we actually start enjoying it more. Uh, because it, it's, we're appreciative of what we have and not what we don't have, and we're not constantly longing for the things we don't have because it's, it, Kind of funny enough, you know, Philippians 4, don't want to give away too much from Sunday, but the the more you chase after happiness, the more it eludes you. And it's only when you kind of give it up and just enjoy things for what they are is when you finally get happiness. Um, Because it's a byproduct. It's not a thing. And enjoyment in life is not the main thing. It's a byproduct of just accepting life for what it is. So, yeah.
0: Uh, Brian, you made a comment about the the reference to the uh, the word uh, to God.
1: It, it is interesting, and and we we've kind of tried to make the point that Solomon's approach is. If there is no God or, or, or let's just taking God out of the equation. He does, he does use God as in briefly in chapter one of verse 13. Uh, cause I was looking at Brendan the same way Brendan was that this really is the first mention of God because in chapter one of verse 13, God is more than an adjective, a God given task, not, not a conversation about God. But, uh, this is the first time. And what's neat about it is it's almost a little pre, uh, a pre, uh, view of, of really where he's going with this because this is kind of a, uh, how would we say? Parenthetical statement. It's just kind of dropped in there to say, but you know what? You know, work isn't bad if you know if you can take pleasure in the work and and the fruit of your labor in the moment. Um, and this becomes a big part of what Solomon wants us to understand later on is that the value of all of these things um, is in the moment, not in destiny. You know that, in other words, of course, the whole concept of destiny. And what Solomon's biggest um, problem. What's the big thing that every one of these things runs into? And the answer is death. Death is the thing that destroys all of this. Um, some secular scholars like to grab Ecclesiastes and say, hey, whoever wrote Ecclesiastes didn't believe in God, in, in life after death. Wrong! The, the whole point of Ecclesiastes is just the opposite. It's to say that unless the problem of death is solved, nothing means anything. Um, and that really is the big thing. You know, if if there is no life after death, I mean, all of us have had these conversations with an atheist. If there's nothing after this life, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Nothing we say, do, accomplish, uh, enjoy, none of it matters. Uh, and and that's Solomon's whole point here: is that nothing matters. Now he's slowly dropping God back into the equation when he says, "But you know what? If uh you know if a man can enjoy his labors, well that's not that's not something natural." that's something that must be from God, you know? Oh, so, so we really are meeting God for the first time in the text. Like I said, I think chapter one and verse 13 is just a, um, is using God as an adjective to say a God given task, a, you know, the thing, why are we here? In other words, and this is this idea, he's going to hit it again. Um, you know, there's, there's the implication of verse 26 that God gives wisdom, you know, he'll, he'll be kind of sowing that, um, God does a few things that he wants us to know. I think chapter 3 and verse 11 is is one of the more profound statements that he wants us to understand about God. But Brenna really hits something really good there, that that really we're not supposed to see God yet. We're supposed to be thinking, you know, if I didn't have God, nothing would matter. That's really the conclusion we're supposed to draw. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, We've got a comment in the chat
0: room, but before we bring it up real quick, uh, let me bring verse uh, 26 up real quick. Uh, where it says, for God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and to collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. So here's the wrong 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 button. (laughs) Here's the question. Michael Davis says, would someone give your comments on the meaning of vanity in these contexts, even when Solomon credits God for the goodness of life, such as verses 24 through 26.
1: And thoughts? it's sorry, a great question. That. Yeah, it's a great question. We talked a little bit about vanity and what it means in general last week, where we said vanity is the idea of an absence of value, meaning, or substance, It that it's nothing. Uh, I kind of like how Solomon himself defines it. He says vanity is chasing wind. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's running after wind. You, you know, there's, there's utterly no value or no, There's no beginning, no end, no purpose. Uh, It has no substance. But perhaps what we want to understand is that even if a man finds enjoyment and pleasure in life, it doesn't actually give us the meaning of life. Um, It doesn't actually say what it's all about. Remember that death is the thing that really Solomon is the most frustrated by. Because death, uh, going back to knowledge, what happens to the wise man and the fool? They both die. Going back to uh, the wealth, What happens to everything you work for? It goes to somebody else. Going to work, what happens? It goes to somebody else. Death is the thing. So so I would suggest that even if a person finds enjoyment in life, and by the way, he says that that is the value of work, you know, to find that joy day to day. It's not in what your long-term goal is. And by the way, most of us don't think that way. But Solomon's saying it's not the long-term goal of work that should be your pleasure. It's it's a day to day, and it sounds a lot like what Jesus says when he talks about "Don't worry about tomorrow," Matthew, uh, uh, Matthew chapter six. Uh, Don't worry about tomorrow; today's got enough problems for itself. But it still doesn't solve the big problem. You know, it still doesn't actually speak to the big problem. So that's the vanity, I think, that he's speaking of. Even though God might give us some uh, some value in in work day to day, it actually doesn't solve the problem. You know, last night we were talking about what it, what is the value of being a Christian in our bible class and the point we were trying to make was it's not this life but it's the next one that's the whole reason we're christians but there are things that come out of this life that are good you know our our relationship with one another you know brothers and sisters in christ um you know joy the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience but you know what love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self control those things go away when i die so so they're vanity in a sense in other words they're they're great while I'm here. My church relationship is great while I'm here. But in the end, what what's the old saying? If you miss heaven You miss all there you miss it is. It all. Yeah. You miss everything. And that's the point, is that all the other things they're they're great, but in a way they're vanity. Because if I miss heaven, I've missed everything.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's a good explanation. And, and and that helps us keep everything in perspective. You know, for the Christian, you know sometimes people I've known people in the past, and I probably was in that category when I was younger that you know if you really love God, you're not going to worry about things if you really love God, you should be able to sleep good at night. Are you anxious? Well, trust in God, and everything will be fine, and it's not that simple. their underlying trust must be there, the love for God, but we're still living in a very physical world, and we are late and with these Burdens and responsibilities. The, the end result is to trust him. No matter how challenging it is and our suffering and crying and worry and our heartburn and our ulcers and all that other stuff, we'll still be there. But as long as we have our trust in God, then we will come out victorious. Um, and even, um, but anyway, good points. Good points there, Brian. I appreciate that. And any, and Brendan, any other thoughts?
2: Um. Actually, no, nothing's coming back to me. So,
0: <laughs> well, I, I think there's a translation error and we got a couple of comments we'll bring in, but, but I, I need to update this translation error. Brian, you really put me on to it. He says, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. All right. You, you said like chasing after the wind, right? Well, Solomon referred to himself as a preacher. I think the analogy is trying to listen to what a preacher saying and understand the words that are coming out of his mouth. That's <laughs> vanity. Are you, okay, are you
1: saying it. preachers are full of wind? What are you trying to say here? Oh, hot air. I've heard a lot of them.
2: <laughs> well, Why do the you think people fall question... asleep
1: during the
0: sermon? Because <laughs> they get warm from the hot air.
2: <laughs> you know, Melvin Curry said his first sermon was with a little congregation north of Tampa. It was two women, two sisters and a, a friend of his. And as soon as he started preaching, they both fell asleep. So, uh, <laughs> and, he said the next week that he must have said something they didn't like, even though they were asleep because his check went from $3 down to $2, so.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, if I was preaching in front of people and, and all of them went to sleep, I probably would just go sit down and fall asleep myself. <laughs> Uh, all right. Let's see a couple of comments here real quick. Let's bring in uh Michael's and then we have one from Jerry. I mentioned, mentioned Jerry Wilcox. He joined us as well early in our study and I failed to mention that, but let's see. Michael follows that piece is correct. If in this life only we have hope for anything else, we are all men most miserable. It's a very good point. And then Jerry Armory. Oh, sorry. That one failed on me. Well, let's bring back Michael's hit like that one better. There we go. One more time. There we go. Jerry writes, this book honestly contributed to me going through a severe midlife crisis when I was 30. This is perhaps one of the most important pieces of literature in existence. I can understand that. I can
1: relate to that. That's a good point. Good point. You know, it's kind of neat about uh, Ecclesiastes is in a way it sits Mm -hmm. outside of the Bible. You know, it's too bad. It couldn't be like a prologue to the Bible. Which is something like, "Hey, uh, what it, you know? What is the meaning of life? Uh, well, if you try to find it outside of this, this is the result." You know, that would be kind of a neat uh, little prologue to the what the rest of the Bible has to offer, since that's a big part of the theme of Ecclesiastes. What what's the meaning of life without yeah. God? And, That'd be an uh, interesting you know, be study. Kind of neat...
0: Overview of Ecclesiastes, and then a big overview of the Bible bringing it to the end of it and then back around to Ecclesiastes 12 one mm-hmm. more time. Interesting. Yeah. Um, there was one more question, but we, we need to move on. Uh, but I just found it interesting that Solomon says that God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good in his sight, but to the sinner he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. thought that was interesting in his observation. So See, so again, he's talking about I'm not creatures sure as the first um, one and the members
1: are the everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what he means in that in some ways. I think that's a, that was actually one of the puzzles I have because yeah. um, I, everything up to this point is observational. It's it's not, you know, um, divine knowledge. It's what can I observe about life? And, of course, like I said, that's bad. You know, what can you observe? But then he makes this statement about the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, uh, I'm going to guess. I'm going to throw out my guess on this. I think okay. part of his point is to say that one general truth that he observed in his life is that righteous people do tend to have it better than the unrighteous. Um, And I think that that kind of makes sense. You could say things like, hey, the guy that doesn't drink, he's going to have a better life than the guy that does. The guy that doesn't womanize, that's faithful to his wife, is going to have a better life than the guy that does. So it could be a general observation um about... You know, righteous people do have it better. And the unrighteous, um, their labors are going to end up with the righteous over that generality. And it's a generality. It's not a spiritual truth. But but on the other side of this, maybe it is a spiritual truth. And he's giving us a a little taste of where he's going to end up. But as I said, I don't know. I don't know why he puts it there.
0: It's almost in the category of righteousness exalts a nation. But um, what is this? Sin is reproach. Yeah, but sin
1: is a reproof to any... Sins are reproached <laughs> to many people. Yeah, that's a and that's a neat point, John, because that's an observational truth. Um, that yeah. that that's kind of a generic um, oversight. And, and like I said, it's it of course is spiritually discerned, but it also could be carnally discerned. You could also just observe yeah. it in life. So that's a neat point. If we were to set aside a lot of Solomon's writings for just a moment,
0: he would almost sound incredibly arrogant. God gave me the wisdom, gave me the knowledge, and look at all that God's given me. You people are having to work for me, so clearly you've not obtained to the righteousness that I have. But I don't know if that's really
1: the attitude you know had there. Yeah. I think, again, I look at Ecclesiastes like a scientific paper, and he's actually giving us his, his what do you call it, your... Yeah. Um, your CV, your uh, uh, what are my credentials? You know, why am I uniquely qualified to to do this experiment? And of course, like I said, he's saying, hey, I'm the richest guy in the world. I'm the smartest guy in the world. And he's not any, And like I said, is it boastful? It sounds boastful, but it really isn't. He's really just saying, no. here's my credentials, because this is a failed experiment. That's what's neat about it. This is a, um, I forget what you call it whenever you have a hypothesis that's that's dismissed there's a there's a term there and I can't remember the term but this is going to be a failed hypothesis can you find value in life uh, just based on the characteristics in the world around us um and he alone uniquely in the world being the richest guy ever being the smartest guy ever being the you know the guy that has this power that is unparalleled um he's he's putting it out there to say look uh, nobody is smarter than me. That's not the problem. Problem isn't, well, somebody just didn't figure out Solomon. You know, somebody didn't figure out something Solomon didn't think of. And he's saying, that's not possible because nobody's smarter than me. Somebody just didn't, Solomon just didn't have enough wealth to figure this one out. No, not possible. I'm the wealthiest guy ever. And I think that's what he's doing. I don't think it's arrogance. I think it's, it's again, this is a scientific paper. Uh, that's what I see here. And it's a hypothesis that fails. And that's what he wants to see. Good point. Good point. Right
2: Well, and to that point, I, I think there's maybe there's a parallel to be made with Paul in Philippians chapter three. Uh, just like dealing with this idea of salvation by works. Paul's like, hey, um, I there was no one like me when it came to the law. Like, I, I am the expert in this. And it's not me boasting. This is these are I'm calling a spade a spade. Um, it's the same thing how Paul would use Abraham. He said, if there was anyone to be justified by works, it's Abraham. And guess what? He wasn't. So Solomon, I think, is doing the same thing here. It's like, hey, if there was anyone who could have found meaning in life apart from God, it was me. And I'm here to tell you, there isn't meaning in life apart from God. So, Good point.
0: All right. Well, with that being said, Brendan, it's time.
2: Okay. Uh, please, ask let's push into chapter three here and, um, first eight verses, um, whether Solomon plagiarized from the birds or birds from the, from Solomon, uh, no, it was the birds from Solomon, but these words should be familiar to anyone who is a fan of classic rock or grew up in that era. Um, so starting in verse one from the English standard version, it says, um, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. And just for the obligatory clarifying comment here, Solomon is not actually talking about there is an appropriate time to, say, murder or appropriate time to hate one's enemies. But he's presenting here a poetic uh, section here of the book to illustrate the the many different seasons of life in which we can find ourselves in. And Solomon's main point here that for every thing in life, there is an appropriate time. But the key to understand the appropriate time is it's not in our timing god is the one who raises nations he fells nations he blesses and he curses he gives and he takes away and it's all according to his time and there is a certain natural ebb and flow in life right now we're in the middle of winter spring will be coming and trees will be in bloom and then we'll get into the heat of summer and then we'll go into fall and winter and it, it it goes in cycles Our lives themselves start out as children. We go to adolescence and adults and then uh, our elderly years and then we pass away. There is a progression. There is a seasons. There are seasons we pass through. And what Solomon's saying here is, for a large part, we can't control those seasons. As much as I want to stay in Arizona winter, summer is coming and I can't change that as much as I may want to stay 28 or go back to 23, I can't change the aging of my body or the seasons in life in which I am in. Um, you look here in the text, uh, many of us hopefully don't get to choose the time of our mourning, uh, when loved ones pass. Um, we don't really get to choose the time of rejoicing. They just happen as, um, as great little accidents or uh, occasions in our lives. Um, There's times in which we need to seek things and there's times in which we will lose those things. There's times that we need to keep silent before people and times that we need to speak up. But overall, the point I think the section is making is the sooner we learn to accept the cycles and seasons of life and how for the vast majority of those, they are outside of our control. The sooner we can learn to accept that is the sooner we can start learning to enjoy Enjoys embrace and rejoice in those seasons. Uh, because I would go back up to chapter two and verse twenty-four and twenty five. Um that when we recognize that God is in control of all, all these seasons, all these times, not me, it's when I can start actually enjoying it. Um, you know, I'm I'm only gonna be this age once, so instead of wishing I was younger or older how about i just in, enjoy the period i'm in um if the fall comes around once a year instead of me wishing it was christmas or spring or whatever let me just enjoy the season um and so that that's really the main thrust of this section from what i've seen here so
0: all right let's see i think that's a good way of looking at that um that's not so much saying that we have to figure the time to do these things, but these things are going to happen. And the fact that he begins with your birth, you have no control over when you're born. You know, that kind of sets the tie, the, that aspect of all these things, the, the, the fact that you're right, what you were saying there, they're not under our control, you know, or they are things that must be done and we do them when they have to be done. So, you know, it's, but let me ask you a quick comparison. See if you think that this would be close to what what you're talking about, Brendan and Brian too. This, and please don't bring up the song "Jesus Take the Wheel." But if if you're if you're the driver of a car, your whole attention span and worry and focus is on that, and you control everything. But if you are a ten year old kid in the back seat of the car, you fundamentally don't have much worries. Other than what time we're going to get there and are we, here's a obligatory question, are we there yet? You know, and uh, you you get hungry but you can't stop and eat until your dad stops. You got to go to the restroom. You can't, shouldn't do that until your dad stops, you know. If you fall asleep, same thing. And that may be a a way of kind of looking at how we just sit back and enjoy the ride and do what we need to do.
2: And maybe there's a point to be made here about the providence of God, and I think there's an application to be made here, that we sing a couple of hymns in our hymn books. Um, He does all things wonderful or beautiful in his time. Uh, I know the Lord will make a way for me. But so many times, practically speaking, we don't believe that. We get frustrated. We want our time. We want it now. And after all, look at the society we live in. Thanks to COVID, I don't even have to go Buy a ticket to the movie theater anymore. I can just stay in my pajamas and turn on my streaming service. Or, you know, Brian, I know you live in an area where there's an Amazon distribution center down the road, and so you get same-day delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so sometimes multi, you know, hour-to delivery. We live in an instantaneous society, and where we feel like we're in control. But for the believer, we have to remember that God's in control, and Sometimes when we're most frustrated in life, um, it's maybe because I'm thinking God ought to be moving at a different speed in which he is. And I, I think Ecclesiastes three, at least these first eight verses teaches us, it's like, Hey, you're not in control. And that can be liberating. Uh, it takes a lot of the pressure off. If you think about it. Um, and maybe the, the, the truth factory moment here is, Not necessarily praying these eight verses, but recognizing this fact, praying to God that I would be more attuned to his timing and more accepting of it. Um, Because, you know, there's a lot of things I would like to have done by now or things I wish I would have come out differently. Okay, I can't fix any of that. But I, I have to trust in my maker who is does all things wonderful in his time. And I'm in seasons of my life because he is so it and he will do things in the right time, and that's that sounds easier. It's easier said than done. I'm gonna be blunt about that, but we have to remind ourselves again and again that it's all things are done in his time, not my time, and that includes the seasons of life and the things that I, you know, things I'm going through. So, it's a good
0: point. Good point. It kind of wants to bring up the whole discussion of the sovereignty of God but we'll kind of refrain from that one right now. Um, <laughs> because that's kind of the approach, you know, and it almost sounds like what Solomon is kind of looking towards, you know, how, you know, how detailed is God's control of our life? You've got the hard determinist who basically says that we're going to do whatever we do. It's already been predetermined and technically we're not accountable, but the soft determinism allows for accountability, you know, Um, but I don't think that's what Solomon's trying to get into, I think he's just talking about fundamentally life on this earth. Yeah. Okay. We have one comment real quick, uh, from Michael and let me bring that up here real quick. And I think it's a good point. He says, but isn't it, and this kind of goes back to the previous section, but is that still applicable, but isn't it a shame that Solomon failed to follow the wisdom gave him the wisdom God gave him in controlling his own life. Had he used to not only guide God's people wisely, but to guide himself wisely, the kingdom of Israel might have been vastly different. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. But, you know, here here's something to kind of keep in mind. And, and this this helps to explain the role of everyone including Solomon because Solomon's actions led to the dividing of the nation, which led to Judah and Benjamin being the singular nation and being a representation of the spiritual Judah that would eventually rise up through Christ. The thing about the heavenly Jerusalem and those who are true Jews, if you would, or those who have the faith of Abraham and so forth. But it's like from the very beginning, God started a process when he created man and woman, that would ultimately refine humanity to the point to where they could spend eternity with him in heaven. And not everybody would get there. Not everybody would 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 would, would measure up during the refinement, and and not just the, the the separating the wheat from the chaff, but the very shaping of the hearts and the minds, so that when everything is said and done, the ones who truly are serving him from the heart and following him are the ones that would then be on the other side of eternity, worshiping him. And this was just a part of that. Solomon was a part of that whole process.
1: So, all right, any thoughts? I just got to say, Brendan, wow. um, You had a couple of things there and I hadn't really thought too much about this before you, we talked about this before the show too. Um, The significance of the idea that these are all things that really are outside of our control. Um, And, and just, you know, Brenda, what was neat is I, I really hadn't thought how neat that fits into everything that he's been talking about. That in other words, you know, you think you have control with wisdom, but then a time comes where you have to do something and you wisdom has no bearing in it. You know, no matter how smart you are, you plant in the spring and harvest in the fall. And you don't get a choice in that. Or, you know, you live or you die. You have, you know, babies are born, you know, um, the, the violence comes, but you know, peace comes. And what's fascinating is, Brendan, I just, I just really was impressed to think about this is that, is that what it comes down to is, is we're just reacting to these things. That's what we're trying. That's what life really is. It's not, it's not taking control of the reins. We have no control. It's the reaction to these things that defines our life. It's reacting to these moments and, and how we do this that makes a person good or bad. Um, And I really find what's interesting is that statement where he says, and there's, you know, and you mentioned it, uh, that we even sing songs about this, you know, in verse 11. He's made all of this beautiful in its time. I I noticed one of the translations I use says he makes it appropriate in this time. I I just, but I just think what's interesting is beautiful. But the concept is he makes it beautiful. Um, Otherwise, it's not beautiful. Otherwise, these are the things that are the vanity. Every one of these things is a vanity. I can die. I can't control the harvest. I, you know, all these different, you know, all these different things. Uh, you know, what's what's the, I mean, it comes right back to it in verse 9. What's the profit if you have no control? Well, the beauty of it is this concept, number one, of God. But by the way, I think verse 11, um, we haven't jumped into it, but I, I really think verse 11 is the profound moment. The reason we understand it's all vanity is because within every human being is a concept of eternity that yep. there's some sense of there's more to it than this and that's what makes everything vanity because what's neat about the time the time because this is a the contrast there's the time and then there's eternity and the time we don't have control over we're just reacting to but the eternity which, which how do we define eternity you know that's a this is one of the few times we get to talk about eternity in the Bible. Eternity is such a, I can't explain it to you because words don't don't accurately describe it kind of thing, that here we get this little thing of, but God drops eternity like a little, uh, like an essential oil. <laughs> uh, an essential oil he drops in our heart that's kind of a flavor of, boy, oh, this can't be it, you know, because of the vanity of this life. This can't be it. This can't be it. And all human beings, I mean, that's what's interesting all human beings people that don't know god people that are completely devoid of it all human beings are obsessed with the idea of eternity and they create false religions or you know shamanistic religions or you know whether you're the you know the person that lives in the the, the most remote parts of the world there's religion that, that's trying to answer this that's why all human beings everywhere conceive of religion because they know eternity in the heart and even the person that says I don't believe in God has a either a they're not thinking they're they're intentionally not thinking about it, or b they have a sense of eternity that's very different. They're thinking of things like well, what am I going to leave my children or my grandchildren? You know, what what is I leaving into posterity? Um, that sense of eternity is almost enough to drive us mad. Uh, it's almost enough to drive people to do insane things. You know, and. And you think of all the crazy things people do in the world today, horrible things that people do in the world today. And why, you say, why do you do them? It's because I think without a divine mind, that drop of eternity drives men mad uh, because of the lack of control we have and the desperate need uh, to face what's next. I think that without a divine perspective, these are the things that, that just drive us out of our mind. Brendan, that was just really neat. I really appreciate
2: it. Well, I, I appreciate that, Brian. And, uh, you know, we could we could probably talk about eternity all day. Uh, <laughs> and rightfully so. And yet, not say anything about it, you know, because right. it's so peculiar. Well, and rating this week, I'm, I'm preaching on Philippians 4, 4 through 9 on Sunday. And so well, I think there's some things to pull in here. But one writer had made this point that joy is... Joy is what happens when we're in harmony with God. He used the illustration of sympathetic resonance of how um, when you play a piano, for example, if you hit the middle C without the dampener, all the other Cs along the piano will resonate with that. And you're not intending to do that. And so when we live in harmony with God, who is eternal and the real true joy giver, we have that joy. And as C.S. Lewis pointed out, the joy... Joy is actually these little pings, these little reminders of eternity. And they're, they're pointing to something greater. And that's why we have this longing for more of it and something that will be lasting. And that just, I think dovetails into your point that we all long for eternity. And Solomon here in a very blunt way throughout this whole book or very real way. Um, you know, Talks about the importance of Eternia and how to get there, but also reminds us that there's a reason that there's a that to get to Eternia, there's some going to be some trials. And we have to have some wisdom to navigate those because, uh, you know, again, we have one giant journal here of what how not to find joy and harmony in this life. So. That's a good
0: point. Good point. I'm still pondering that last part, and I think it's what what y'all have already touched on. Also, he's put in eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end.
1: I think the idea of eternity is it's an unthinkable thought. Um, yeah. Because of the nature of the human mind, We eternity is the concept of that without beginning and that without end. And let's be honest. When we think of eternity, we're probably really just think of something that starts, but doesn't have an ending that we can see. We don't have the idea. And I, and I, my, I postulate it's not even possible for us to think of something that has no limitation, that, it, that our brain only works in ways of defining things that have limitation. And so what he's saying is that here's the mind of God to see things without limitation. And he says, so that's, um and that's where i think he's he's kind of making this this uh idea that that's why it's you know no one can find it that's kind of the idea he gives us this flavor to say i know there's more but we don't have the mind to think his thoughts you know god will say things like that right you know i'm you know i'm not a man you know my thoughts aren't your thoughts you know god will say things like that to us and we'll just kind of say oh yeah okay but here's a Solomon saying, and do you know why? It's because our minds are limited, and his mind is absolute. Every day we get a little more knowledge. His mind, because it's eternal, doesn't have the ability to grow. It no, it has the true encompassing of everything. There's no, there's, you know, time is the only way we grow. Time is, time is everything. Time is the way we change. God, God says, I don't repent. You know, why not? Because... He exists in eternity. It's not possible to repent in eternity. Um these are just little things, tidbits about eternity that just um that just kind of make my head hurt, you know? And it should make my head hurt because it's it's the unthinkable thought. That's what eternity comes down to, yeah. the unthinkable thought. That's a good point. And you think about scientists today,
0: and I, I realize what he says find out the work that God does from beginning to end. We, we look at that in a very physical standpoint, like what you're talking about, besides scientists days, still struggle with how did everything begin, you know, and they oftentimes talk about how will everything end, you know, and then they get into the multi-dimension discussion and all that other, the trying to grasp for something they just cannot fully comprehend. But I'll tell you what, this also kind of reminds me of a little bit. And you tell me if I'm off base, because I, I feel like that I've just took a step off the side of the grand Canyon. So I'm a little bit off base here, but the pursuit here reminds me a lot of at the tower of Babel when they wanted to try to build a tower that would let them reach up to the heavens to be with the gods as as the, as Genesis explains that it's almost like an unattainable goal because it goes beyond the realm of what it is
1: even possible to comprehend. Um, I think that, I think that's a fantastic comparison because the tower of babel represents the first religion. Uh what is it trying to accomplish? Salvation, it's trying to reach God. It you know he says we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to you know we're going to we're going to overcome things. And what's ironic is it's so of course we look at it and we say that's silly. You know you could build a tower to get to heaven that's silly. But Solomon is saying everything is the tower of babel. Every single thing we're pursuing in life is the Tower of Babel. It's a tower to nothing that accomplishes nothing, but potentially offending God. But we're all striving for religion because religion is the idea of giving a meaning to what's next. Eternity is in my heart. I got to figure that out. So, So in the Tower of Babel... Which, which the Tower of Babel is such a profound moment because, right, we, Acts chapter two is the undoing of the Tower of Babel. That's what's so neat about it is that when, when a true world religion comes in Acts chapter two, they exactly undo what happens at the Tower of Babel, the confusion of language, which, which is kind of a neat characteristic. But the Tower of Babel is this idea of people saying, Hey, we need a meaning to life because, because what happened? We just got wiped out and we want to take control. And God says, you're not going to take control of anything. That's silly. And you know, scatters everybody. They they wanted to say there isn't a time to live and die. We can take control of that. We can take control of our destiny, and that's what that's what man, many religion is doing. It's saying we can take control of our destiny. Yeah. And, it, and it's just uh, John. I think that's a profound statement. This is a Tower of Babel kind of moment where we're saying, yeah, we can do it. And it's you know, man plans, God laughs, because only He actually understands eternity. Only He actually has the ability to get there. And there's no, you know, I always say what's neat about like Jacob's ladder or the Tower of Babel is that Jesus is the real thing. He's the connection between God and man. Um, You know, he's the thing that that has is the tower to eternity, so to speak, because he's he's the only thing that connects those two. And everything else is a joke uh, in the eyes of God. Good.
0: Good point. Good point. And the fact you agreed with me. Really good point, but I won't mention that because we frown on arrogance here and narcissism on the truth factor. <laughs> anyway, well, that's yeah, I got to be careful. Someday someone's going to take me seriously on some of that stuff. I mean, I do frown on it, but, you know.
2: John, I promise you, I will never take you seriously on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... The-
0: it's like grasping for the wind. thing. <laughs> well, with that said, that's probably the end of our time. I had to do that one more time, sort of. Well, it's, let's plan to stop here. I tell you what, let's plan next to Thursday to pick up with verse 12. because um, so I think our discussion of 11, we can go back and grab nine and 10 real quick. But I think that's, we had a good discussion there 12, of 11. And that would get us a good starting point at verse 12. Sounds good. Hopefully we'll have Paul back with us next week and hopefully Tom, Tom as well. I'm not sure in Tom's situation, how long he'll need in taking care of the family affairs and stuff. So, and again, our, our our prayers are for Tom um, as he goes through, as he goes through these difficulties. So, all righty. Well, any other final thoughts? Okay. So if, if you, if you have any thoughts about what we've been talking about, then, uh, feel free to contact us. As you've seen at the bottom of the screen there, we'll even throw it up there to that side right there. You can contact us. Send us, uh, email, questions at truthfactorlive.com or write us individually. You'll see John at Paul at et cetera truthfactor.com. If you leave a comment on this video after the fact, we should be able to see that as well as a comment in the chat room on our YouTube side of thing as well. But we'd love to hear from you. See what you have to think about these things. And oh, keep in mind the fourth Thursday of the month. Guys, help me remember this. The fourth Thursday of the month is supposed to be our question and answer session. So if you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, or I should say, if you have any questions you'd like for us to kind of discuss, let's pick our brains on, see what we might think about those things, then feel free to let us know those questions. Uh, you can text them to us on the number at the bottom of the screen, send them to us via email, um, or on the Truth Factor Facebook page. I think you can drop a comment there. I'm not sure about that. I'd go back and look at it, but let us know and send us your questions and then we'll try to work them into our study the fourth thursday of this month all right everybody i appreciate you joining us today and lord willing we'll see you back here again next thursday at 11 o'clock a.m central time for another truth factor discussion and everybody say bye bye and we'll see you next week have a great week